We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. episode 337 of the Win Six podcast, a podcast on the Eurostep podcast network, along with Blue Wire podcasts. I'm your host, Adam McGee. I'm solo in terms of my usual GSPN teammates today. They all recorded a immediate post-draft reaction pod last night, but I am joined by a very esteemed guest. I know very little about what happened last night. So the only way to do this was to bring somebody who actually knows about college basketball to help enlighten me on what the books did and what some of the other teams around the NBA did. So I'm delighted, kind of shocked. I can't believe this is the first time we've had you on any of the podcasts, but I'm delighted to have a former colleague of mine and Jordan's and Ty's and Rowan's at Behind the Book Pass, Lucas Harkins on the show. Lucas is... Uh, currently covers college basketball over at Heat Check. He writes with Butler on his Patreon. Lucas, I'm so glad to finally have you on the podcast and to have you here to talk about a very weird books draft night. Yes, I really appreciate you guys having me on. It's been a while. Uh, it's been a while since I was at Behind the Book Pass, so it's good to connect to you guys again. It it sure is. It's good to catch up, and we've got we've got some stuff to go through. If by some chance, you've been living under a rock. You don't know what happened. The books went into draft night with a 31st overall pick. I don't know how much exactly. I didn't have a stopwatch on. John Horst did not waste any time. It was around the second or third pick, I think, being announced. That news came in that he had traded back for two picks on the night. That being 54 and 60 plus two future picks. At 54, the Bucks drafted Sandrew Mamou Kelishvili, 
And at 60, they drafted Georgios Kalaitzakis. One of those guys, I think we've all got a better feel for it than the other. That may still be the case after this podcast, but we'll get into the specifics of all of that. First of all, what I want to know, Lucas, is what were your thoughts on the Bucks' decisions on draft night? Their decisions to step back from what, for me, not an expert, but someone had done a crash course and kind of looked at prospects available and considered, you know, what the Bucks have to work with going to free agency, some of their fits. I thought 31 was a pretty good pick. And I think by the time it actually came around, it was even better than I expected in terms of some of the guys available to them. But what did you think about the decision to move back to stock up on future picks and really have an eye on trades? And I guess then also to pick the guys that they did. We can get into the specifics of it, but just that thought process from the books, what was your reaction to it on the night? Yeah, entering the draft, I really liked 31 too. I thought it was a good spot. I had a list of about nine guys, all of which were guards, um, that I wanted around there. Um, And I liked the spot. I thought a few of them were likely to drop there and turned out, as you already kind of alluded to, a lot more of them actually fell than we thought. But at first, I was more wait and see. I thought 54 and 60, maybe you can package cash in 54 and get to 45 or so. And I felt better about that as we got to 30. I was like, there's a lot of guys I like still. Um, and then that didn't happen. And then, I was like, and then we got to 54. There was still one guy I liked yet, liked left, Joel Iae, who is now signed a two-way with the Lakers. Um, but out of Gonzaga, right? Yes, out of Gonzaga. I, I really liked him as a prospect. Just kind of, if you can get him at 54, I thought that would be a really good steal. But yeah, I think I was waiting. I was annoyed at first, and then I went to wait and see on wanting to get back up just a couple spots. At which point, if you can pick up two extra seconds for dropping 10 spots in this year's draft. I actually would have been totally fine with that. Um, but they didn't do that. And now I'm a little bit like, hmm. I struggle to be annoyed considering we're a week removed from winning the championship, but mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. I think that's the dominant feeling I've seen among books fans um, on social media. People I've spoke to, which is just, you know, the Bucks are NBA champions, which it is good to start with that. Let's reiterate the Bucks are NBA champions. It's a good spot to come from. The thing I have with that, though, is it's also the time to make sure you improve or at least you you do what you can to bring yourself back in a similar position a year on. And the Bucks are going to face challenges on that just in terms of keeping guys in free agency. And for that, and then looking at the longer view of not a lot of young talent on this roster. There hasn't been for a while, but the avenues to get them because of all of the draft picks that have been spent in recent years have been shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And ultimately, I guess that's part of the motivation to pick up more more draft picks so you can make more trades or maybe you can bundle some together for future drafts. I wasn't I wasn't particularly keen on this this decision, though. And I do... I've real question marks over just how Horst has approached the draft in recent years. It's one thing how he's used picks to, to pull off trades. It's hard to be critical of that because he's had a couple of big swings, one that didn't work, one that did work. But I think both in terms of Miritich and PJ Tucker that everyone would have agreed put the books in a good position going into a postseason to contend. But when he's actually used picks, picks have been weird. And some of the process has been a little bit puzzling for me. And I think the thing that 24 hours on, I'm thinking about with this, and it became apparent right around the time 31 came around, you're like, okay, well, who's left and what's happening? 
I think they just made this call way too early. That that was my thing because the Knicks ultimately did a deal with the Thunder. They traded thirty two for thirty four and thirty six, right? Which, I mean, Bucks could have done that, and you could say, okay, we're happy with thirty six. Maybe you can flip thirty four for a couple of seconds, future seconds, and get that anyway, and you still have a pick in the thirties. Which, let me see to pull up. Like, I mean, around the time. 34, 35, 36. I mean, it's at the point where you're starting to lose some of the players, but I think my favorite prospect for the books was uh, Deuce McBride. He went to 36. So there were players there, um, Mm -hmm. really actually all around that. The the few picks before and after, that was a good range to be in. Whereas like, hmm, I, I know Horst was asked about it. I saw some comments he gave today and being like, no, no, we feel good about it. Obviously, he's not going to say anything else. But I, I thought they were very quick to pull the trigger on that deal. And when I saw what played out, I was like, you know what? They could have got a player who was, I think, better, better now, better long term, and also possibly picked up the future seconds that they're now kind of left with. Because it's one thing when the deal is made in those, whatever, three hours it took for the first round to be completed to be like, two picks, two future seconds. Yeah, that's quite the haul. When the two picks have been spent on the night, and I think they were spent on the guys they were, and there's going to be question marks, and we're going to have to wait and see on that. I think it gets very different. You're then just looking at what's left. So I I don't know what your thoughts were on that, or did you have a similar reaction when you saw that particular trade go down? It's just, I don't know if they even got value out of their trade. It feels like Horse might have jumped the gun just a little bit. Yeah, I thought for the first three hours, of the draft or two hours the draft that I, I thought I was in wait and see and this is fine. Um, but definitely it changes when like you mentioned the thunder trade, um, when you see what other value teams got for similar picks. Um, it seems like if you wait on that a little bit longer, even if you wait till it's pick 29 and you see, and some teams just like, Oh, I have to jump up cause I really like this guy in the second round. Um, you have a little bit more leverage there. So I would agree on timing. It was definitely early, but I do I do want to give a shout out to the Bucks Twitter as just always a shout out to Bucks Twitter. But also, I love our fan base to the point where we are a week removed to winning the NBA championship, and everyone is annoyed. Sure, they're, they're, the, the timeline is still annoyed. <laughs> there's there's no complacency with, oh, we can rest on our laurels for the for the, as a fan base. No. They are annoyed all last night. Adam Silver opened up the draft by saying the new season starts now, which I was a little upset about. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can we just hold off on this just a little bit? Can we give the books more than a week as NBA champions? I'm, I see what you're trying to do here, Adam Silver. But um, yeah, I mean, I, it's, I think there is a general level of annoyance among a lot of books fans. I'm not going to say all books fans because I, I don't believe that's true. But I think there is a general level of just it's kind of normal with the draft. The draft is one of those points of the year where it's like, oh, you know, it's time to add a new player, some new players. And because the books haven't had a whole lot of that, they haven't had a whole lot of success in recent years. And books fans know they're not going to have a whole lot of, you know, high quality draft picks, if just draft picks at all, to look forward to actually being used and ending up on the roster in the years to come. I think there was a little bit of excitement about, you know, oh, it's 31. And I do have this feeling, and it's just, at some point, they need someone young. 
they need to just find something and get lucky to have one foot. I don't think you can quite with the way the moves they've made to this point and look, those moves have paid off. They've won the championship. But you can't do the kind of two tracks thing that the Spurs managed to do successfully for like a decade where you're the best team or one of the two to three best teams in the NBA in the now, but you also have a strong core of young players developing behind that. They don't have that luxury, but I think you need something. And as much as books fans are very enthusiastic about Jordan Wara and Mamadi Diakite and Sam Merrill, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical if that's the shape of, say, a Bucks championship roster five years from now. And we'll leave it at that. And I think that's been quite kind about it. And I, I just think at some point you're going to want to find another starter level player. And I, I kind of had some some discussions on Twitter with people last night. And, you know, very, very smart people, very good points. And they're saying, you know, the chances of finding someone who can help this team at 31 are not all that great. Or it could take X amount of time for them to be a contributor. Do the books have that? I think the books have more time than they've had in years. First of all, they've won a championship. Giannis is locked into his deal. You've got more security and more goodwill than that than ever before. That doesn't mean you, you kind of become complacent, but I do think like at one roster spot or two roster spots, you can be like, well, here's someone who might be able to play now, but we're also going to get them ready to take on a bigger role yeah the other thing is pj tucker was a 36 pick chris middleton was like 39 so two of the starters of this book's championship team were drafted with worse picks than what we saw last night like it is not impossible and honestly in more recent years it's become quite common it's also for the books um one of your famous i know ty talks about this a lot still he remembers it vividly i remember it too you were writing for us at Behind the Book Pass at the time, and you called your shot with Malcolm Brogdon, and that one worked okay. out very nicely. But picks in, picks in this kind of area of the second round have been kinder to the books than, than lottery picks even um, in recent memory when yeah. you look at just how things turned out with Jabari and Tom. So there's something there that it's like, this is the area where the stakes are low, but you can still find a good player. And I, I did even think, you know, Let's say someone who went a little bit before, but someone like a, a Jaden Springer, who's I think he's eighteen, so he's on the young end of the scale. I love Jaden. I had Springer in the top, I think sixteen or so most of the draft process. I really like Jaden Springer. I also my reaction when the Sixers drafted him was he's kind of exactly what the Sixers need if they could develop him in the right way for a couple of years, given a lot of what their roster has been missing for a long time. He's a great pickup, but him as an example now could he come in and? play finals minutes for the books next year. It might be a stretch, but I don't know how much, I don't know how much further away he is than say what they're getting out of a Jeff Teague. And you you have upside and you have room to build him into a player that, you know, could be a starter at some point. And that's the thing that year to year with the draft, look, horses getting it done somehow, some way. But I would like at some point, one, I'd love a point guard. Every year I tweet this, every year they break my heart. It's like, just draft a point guard at some point, books. You might be able to address this. It's like the annual hole in the roster is, if it's that starting point guard, it's backup point guard. But beyond that, I'd like to see some prospects to develop. And I, I know I'm probably, you know, I'm playing to the right audience here. You are a college basketball guy. 
So you are very much going to be in agreement that it's something that the books could utilize more and maybe find some different avenues because now it could all work out. Like these decisions could prove to be good ones a week from now if the books hit the jackpot with vet minimum guys. But there is always the possibility that you don't hit the jackpot with vet minimum guys. And then you're in a, a really tough spot. Yeah, I agree. It really feels like not just trading 31, but passing on a guard altogether at 54 and 60 just makes me think that they have some level of confidence in getting someone they really like in free agency, um, mm-hmm. which gives me some optimism. Now, maybe I'm that's misguided, um, and no we'll find out. And, and we'll find yeah, – of course, no one, would, no, one would ever, no one would ever consider tampering. Um, can't wait for 59 picks next year. Um, maybe it'll make the draft 20 minutes shorter. Uh, but, but I, I think that gives me some confidence in a twisted way, like trading away from, I think a good opportunity to young guard, uh, gives me some confidence that they have a guy in mind that they think they're going to be able to land. I sure hope so. Uh, It's definitely, it's something that they desperately need. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. The funny thing about this is, if before the draft started on Thursday night, if you had said to me, Lucas, you said, look, the books are going to draft this guy and you started listing off the skills that really apply to Sandrew Mamukulashvili, I would have been like, oh great, they're finally getting a point guard, except they're not getting a point guard. They're possibly getting a center, maybe a power forward. Part of the problem might be that 
there is no answer to that. And I don't know if the answer will become all that much clearer in time. I think they'll probably always want him to be more of one thing on both ends, and he won't quite manage to be that. But this is, I, I had to laugh when I when I started to dive in today and I started to watch some tape. I was like, one, this is the weirdest basketball player I've ever seen. And I'm fully on board for that as a big fan of, you know, international big guys. This pick was right on brand for me. I mean, the guy was mentored by Zaza Pachulia. This doesn't get any more right up my street. He passes like, you know, we won't do a, I don't know, did you see any of John Horst's press conference? But he, he invoked some names. He was like, not saying he's going to be these guys, but we don't know what he'll be yet. But, you know, Vladdy Divac, Andrew Bogut, Nikola Jokic, you know, as as players. Now, one, I don't know what version of Andrew Bogut John Horst was watching over the years. Day-to-day back spasms. Yeah. The point is, Mavukalashvili has kind of the skills the books were missing from the roster. Just at a position, I don't think they needed that. And I'm intrigued. I think there's a lot there to be interested about. There's a lot there to be concerned about. I think he's just, he's a tough puzzle for the books to figure out this season and beyond in terms of how they make him work. But I know that you know infinite times more than I do about him from his college career. So you're you're much more well-informed on this. And I, I did see your tweet. Um, you were you're quite content with this pick at 54. This was a pick that, you know, if they were going to find themselves at this kind of region of the draft, you were happy with this as something they did look to do. Yeah, I don't, I had Sandro at number 58 in my big board. I really okay. didn't hate the pick at all. Um, I had him in my top 60. Now, maybe that's a little bit of bias creeping in for those listening. I am a Butler basketball, Butler Bulldogs grad, and I cover the team and not just Butler, the rest of the college basketball too, but I'm credentialed for Butler um, in the Big East, the same conference as C- as Seton Hall, a.k.a. Sandra Mamokilashvili and the Player of the Year in the conference last year. Um, so I, I've seen a lot of him. I've seen him hit a game winner against Butler. Um, <laughs> I've seen a lot of Sandro. But as Marquette yeah, fans have seen a lot of Sandro as well, I believe. So it's a faster for him. Um, mm-hmm. And hopefully we see a lot more. I, I think he is the type of very interesting player that I like taking a shot on in the last 10. Yeah. He's older than some of the guys like, you know, BJ Boston, um, go went 51, like really young, really disappointing freshman year at Kentucky. That might've been more intriguing, but, but Sandro, he's, I want to say less than at six ten. Um, he runs the floor pretty well. He's got a really good handle. He's an outstanding passer. He can kind of stretch the floor a bit. He really is this kind of all-around offensive weapon, and Seton Hall used him very well, um, I think. They really put the ball in his hands and let him make plays, and they let him push the floor with his own, like, grab a rebound and outlet um, actions. He's not very good defensively, I don't think. I I was never particularly impressed with him as a defensive player, Um, but he, he has a lot of game offensively. And he's, he's quicker than you think. If you try and guard him with a five, he can pump and go by. Um, and he's a good decision maker on the move, too. Um, I know, this is the second straight year. I've actually been really happy with the Bucks in the 50-60 range because I really liked Sam Merrill as a pick, too. Um, 
I'm never going to say I'm thrilled about a guy who's obviously fallen this far. The likelihood that Sandro is a major rotation player is low, um, as is the case with everybody outside of the top 45, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you're going to take a shot on someone there and there's no one you really like, why not take a shot on a guy that doesn't have a play style that, you, that you've really seen? I think Sandro's got a very unique playing style um, for his position that had, and a playing style that, as you mentioned with Divac and, um, and Jokic more specifically than Bogut, I think, um, Definitely. that, that it's, it's a, it's a playing style that we've seen work now. He's not going to be that guy. Um, I'm not even sure I would even, I don't think I would even go as far to say he's Jokic light. He's, he's lighter than that. He's diet Jokic. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't zero Jokic maybe. Yeah, exactly. No, zero. <laughs> off, I don't want that to. I don't want that to catch on because we've got we've got good nicknames. I mean, the Sandman is right there. Jordan has fully kind of put himself all in on the Sandman. But and, and yeah, college, zero Jokic is maybe. He was straight up Mamu for pretty much everyone in college basketball. Just Mamu. Like, and you can, you can lengthen out that long vowel sound as long as you want. Um, yeah. That, that was pretty much what he would go by by us. Actually, I, when I would write that articles that include him, I would write his last name once and then the rest of it would just go to Mamu. Um, right. No, he, he definitely is in- interesting though. I mean, he's not something that I've really seen much in a Bucks uniform. And I think I'm interested to see how his game, I think that's what I tweeted last night. I'm really just interested to see how his game translates to this level. I feel like he has a pretty European style. Obviously, he's, he's Georgian, but he's played in America at Seton Hall. I, I think he's got kind of a European style. I'm not sure how well that will translate. But when you look at the picks that went after him, I'm not – I don't mind it. This is what I'm most interested with him because I don't think there's any doubt that he has offensive skill and he has offensive skills that are really – intriguing and if you utilize him the right way you know he could become a player that for all his limitations and he may never be kind of anything close to a top six seven player on your roster he's someone that on his minutes at the floor could help the better players to to really kind of hit their stride and he could facilitate in a way that the books just haven't had that option that intrigues me now on the post draft not start not to cut you off but he also intrigues me as a practice guy like it, it, the, his skill as a practice guy, when you're going up as a, as a scout team, is interesting. When there are guys that can make reads, his kind of discount version of other guys is, is interesting. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. My only thing with that is I don't know how many guys you're going to see like him over the course of the season. It's one, right? It's one where you'll get some kind of replication. Although, like, just as a very skilled passing forward like if you want to take some of his size slightly smaller guys who do that uh, i'm not even going to name some of the players because it sounds ridiculous to start naming them when we're talking about this particular player but the point that rowan brought up on the post draft podcast that i i agree with and i wish i didn't because i think it's really difficult is just on this team on this books team of all teams is there scope for him to do what he's best at? Is there scope with Giannis 
being who he is and knowing how many minutes he's going to play. And we've actually reached a new kind of stage in that too, because we've seen the thing that used to happen where he'd gas out in the playoffs. Guess what? Not as much of an issue right now, even when he's kind of on one leg or not, as it turns out, as John Horst revealed today that, you know, he is in fact superhuman, no need for any kind of offseason procedures. His knee's yeah. perfect. But is there room for him just in terms of, I'm struggling to work out how it will work for spacing. Now, there's one thing I really like, and that is I love his interior passing. I love his ability to get inside and to find cutters and to find guys at the dunker spot. And with the way the books have brought the dunker spot into their offense to be a key component of it, this is a really interesting addition in terms of like an offensive archetype. Is a big who's really comfortable at finding players there, making those passes. They they just haven't had that. Like they they got a a different kind of offensive big, obviously last season and bringing Bobby in, but it's he's Bobby buckets for a reason. Bobby is not looking for all those passing options that he gets inside. So this is something that's a little bit different. It's a passer outside of Giannis, which isn't something I've had in front court options. And I think for like guys like say Pat Connaughton, Dante, if they want to go and fill the dunker spot and they're out there on the floor with him, there's going to be a lot of easy points. That's something that over the years, you know, could become something really nice. But to the central point, which is always, it's like any player with the books, if they're the 54th pick or if they're a free agent earning millions of dollars a season, first question is always going to be, how does this work with Giannis? How do they fit with Giannis? Because that's going to dictate how you, how and when you play, how much you play. What's your confidence level on that? I know part of this has to be imagining, you know, him developing really well, probably putting on some size, continuing to improve his game, where this becomes relevant to begin with. But if that did happen, do you still see his style? Is there room for that to mesh with Giannis and with the books, with how they've largely run their offense? Um, I think it's a different way you'll see him. Um, like I think his passing is is always going to be relevant in just even just as a secondary quick dish. Um, I, I like him as a passer. The the thing that it's more how his scoring translates, I think, um, mm-hmm. intrigues me. And I think this past season he was pretty inefficient for his standards. Um, I think thirty four percent from three. He's better than that. Um, this was his first season really being the guy at Seton Hall. Uh, his junior year, he shot 54% from the field and 43% from three. And that was his year with a high-usage player. Miles Powell was playing guard for Seton Hall and taking a ton of shots and a ton of difficult shots. Um, kind of in, like, not the same usage rate-wise, but kind of the same kind of shots you kind of see Chris Milton take um, on, on occasion. And, and I think he played around him well. And he played part of that season injured um, too. I want to say it was a wrist injury. He missed 10 or 15 games um, as a junior, but he was really efficient when he wasn't having to be that guy. Um, And he obviously won't be that guy um, in the NBA, which I think makes those supplementary skills like his passing kind of pop in that if he's efficient as a shooter, then that, that becomes his primary skill and he can kind of surprise you every once in a while by flashing his passing. I was going to ask you, so which season do you think is closer to real for his shooting? Was it his junior year? Was it his senior year? 
I, I think I, you might have you might have got at that. Is it is it maybe is there reason for optimism because his usage with the books is going to be a hell of a lot closer to his junior year than his senior year? That you know, as someone who is not drawing as much attention, he could be a little closer to that kind of forty percent range than the thirty three point six he shot last year. Yeah, I'd probably put him more in the 37, 38 spot, somewhere in the middle. I know that's hedging, um, but I that's think... That's perfectly that, good, though. Yeah, I think... <laughs> like, this, if, if he could be that, you'd be very happy. Yeah, I think this season, he was... He took a lot more... He's Really, he took a lot more shots that are creating for himself from three. I, I would have to pull it up, how much of his three-point mix were unassisted. Um, but I would guess it's a much higher percentage than his junior year. Um, the other thing is he has upped his free throw percentage every year, 60%, 61, 66, 72, um, is pretty consistent improvement at the line and his three point percentage outside of one year that was out excellent has been steadily climbing. So I obviously it's tough to translate just how that the difference in range, um, from the college line to the three point line will affect him, but I, I would put him somewhere in the mid thirties probably. And I mean, there's a lot to like if he can, if he can get in that range, there'd be no complaints about that. I mean, we've seen over the years, the past three years, the value that Brooke can have as a shooter, shooting 34, 35% a lot of the time. So as a big, if you could get in that kind of range, would be pretty nice for the books. I am. Okay, so I did check it. Um, is the junior 100% of his made threes were assisted on? Um so every single every single made three came off an assist as a as a senior ninety percent so pretty much all of them were unassisted but I mean, well, we're, in, we're, in we're anything awesome. I in anything I'd watched and in any kind of breakdowns and any kind of scouting reports I've read it it basically says he's a terrible terrible three point shooter off the dribble you know yeah. you just can't do it those numbers those numbers would back that up that's yeah. not his game now again. That's kind of intriguing in a books context because you're going to imagine he's not going to get to do as much of that. Mm -hmm. But he just he looks so fun with the ball in his hands that uh, that's my only concern is just like, will the books have room? Will he be good enough to have the ball in his hands with the books, how they work that? And if he doesn't, then what's his utility? Because, I mean, I think you let in with, you know, he's not a very good defender. He's not an impressive defender. I don't know. I don't know if he can survive in the NBA right now. Like with the the tweener element, it it just seems like he's he's definitely not quick enough. Or I don't think he has the kind of sharpness or awareness to move laterally at the level he would need to to guard fours in the NBA. Like and he's just gonna he's get. I I think he's a four, but the problem is I don't think he can guard fours, and that is really tough. Like. He doesn't look like someone who his frame is just, you know, waiting to really bulk up and become a center. But I I kind of think he's going to have to survive on guarding centers in his minutes. He could be the kind of guy you see in a small ball lineup where he's alongside Giannis. But I it's that's the thing that, you know, that's part of one. If if you don't have that concern, you. He's a guy his offensive skill would have him drafted before 54. You know, that's how you get here is because these are the kind of concerns. But I, I do wonder if that's something that's just going to be too much to overcome. It's just where are you going to put him and how can he survive? 
Like, maybe he could take some minutes in the regular season. Maybe he could do that next season. Like, the books, their regular season is going to have whole different vibes than they've had um, for a number of years. They're going to have a whole different level of feeling. But we saw players, I mean, pretty useful players just get played off the floor. Both books players and players on other teams in the postseason because their defense wasn't up to scratch. And I don't know who, like, of any kind of team and the kind of players you're going to see late in the playoff run or in any kind of postseason series, I don't know what kind of players he's going to be able to survive on, and that's really tough. Yeah, one of the things, I guess, that as I'm looking at his statistical context a little bit more, that kind of intrigues me. Um, I don't really remember him playing much at the five. Uh, for Seton Hall because he's played a lot of the four the last two years when they have had two of the best shot blockers in the country. They had Ike Agugo last year and then uh, Romaro Gill the year before who I don't remember if he was Big East player of the year but if he wasn't he should have been. Both of whom were just monster shot blockers um, for them and in the year prior that was his 1.2 blocks a game season with a 200 and third best block rate in the country. So so maybe him playing back at the five makes him a better defender. I, I mean, it is also the transition to the pro game where he's, you know, 6'11 is no longer the 6'11 it is in college. Um, but maybe that's something to be intrigued by um, is moving back to maybe if he's back to playing the five, that changes things. And maybe even part of his defensive struggles at Seton Hall were just knowing that he had a shot blocker behind him. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, the one thing with that is he's going to have a shot blocker behind them, probably in whatever combination he yes. finds himself on the floor with the books, yeah. and he'll certainly exactly. need that. But he need he's going to need to be more, much more accountable, yeah. and he's going to need to show some resistance to defense to have any chance of playing. Uh-huh. Do you do you see a path to him being able to play small minutes with the books next season? What way would you approach his development? Is he someone that they should be signing to a two-way, let him go and play for the herd as much as possible and maybe try to work him into the system, you know, set the herd up like the books did a couple of years ago where it's kind of a true minor league representation. You get him reps in the system. You get him playing defense that's somewhat kind of equivalent to what you would hope to see him do with the books. And you give him a year give him some chances to come up here and there and play some minutes and see what you can, you can make out of it. Or is he someone that you just, you get on the roster and he's there and you see what happens. What's your thoughts? Yeah. I like him as a two way guy personally. Um, as you indicated, he's better with the ball in his hands and showcasing what he can do. Um, and I think kind of working him slowly from like playing a role um, with the herd where he has the ball more into like, trending that down and seeing what skills he has when he's um, not having to like dribble the ball up as much and that kind of stuff that he did at Seton Hall, which obviously is a strength, but whether or not that's something he can do consistently in the NBA, I doubt. Um, That's more of a flash play every once in a while that he can toss in. Oh yeah. Remember he can do this kind of thing um, rather than a consistency. So I think I like him more as a two way guy. Um, that kind of can build up what his role is going to be in the NBA. Cause I think it's a pretty significant transition for him, what his role would be in college to what he is in the NBA. And it's not just any team he's coming into too. It's not a team that's going to give him kind of a long enough leash to 
to go and make his mistakes. He's coming into the NBA champions. He's coming into a team with a two-time MVP, a guy who I think would be anyone's favorite to win another MVP next year. And it's a team that's, you know, looking and will expect to be right back there. So whatever they're doing, like there may not be the urgency in the regular season, but it's all going to be about, again, building habits and getting ready, giving yourself options for the postseason. Yeah, Speaking one of the, two ways. Sorry, go on. And, and I think going back to the the fit with Giannis thing, uh, that I was just kind of thinking about how that works. We see a lot of Giannis grab a rebound and go. Um, and I think it would be interesting to see kind of a twist on that with Sandro grab a rebound and go. He is such a good live passer in transition that if you have Giannis running instead of having to be the primary passer out of out of a transition break um, or like to get the ball to Giannis as soon as possible. If you have a passer in transition that can really get him in the right spot, I, the books are already really good in transition. If you start being able to use Giannis as a receiver in some context, it gets even more, it gets, it can get even more impressive. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I noticed in, in watching highlights and any kind of clips of him is, he seems to like to pass high over the top of the defense. And with a guy like Giannis, like it's very easy because you can, you could play the lob game and you know what? He's probably going to be better at it than say Chris, who yeah. Chris's uh, track record of connecting with Giannis is patchy at best. It's something he looks for a lot because you should, you've got Giannis, and Tim but Harvey. it's not necessarily his forte, but it, it looks like something here that, you know, Manu will be able to to really kind of target. If he does get minutes, there could be easy points. And that's got to be what he's looking for. If he gets to play at any time, it's like, okay, what way can I make positive contributions in just staying staying within the realms of what I'm good at, what I'm comfortable with? And I think that's going to come down to his passing more than anything. I mean, he's a good finisher if he gets downhill, but if things are set, it looks like a problem. Maybe again, back down to just the weird tweener status where he doesn't have the strength. He doesn't have a post game to back those guys down and get inside. And he kind of ends up in a no man's land. If he doesn't get to really attack guys, it seems, you know, a chance to maybe pump fake and then attack off the dribble, kind of catch guys slightly off guard. Then he's a good finisher and he can go and score, but in front of a set defense, there's problems. Yeah. I would say that's a little bit of a problem, but I do think that he, he has a lot of moves off the dribble. More than you'd think. Mm-hmm. He's got a really good spin move. Um, he's, I mean, he's got a Euro play style. He's got a Euro step in his game. Nice. He, he's, he's big. He, he's legitimately, like, he's a force coming downhill. Like, it's – I've watched him in the Big East, which is a pretty physical front court league, or at least there are a few uh, guys in the front court that can make things challenging. And he was able to pretty much bully his way in a couple times. Um I think he's a pretty decent finisher, um, but I think going back to his passing, what makes his passing valuable in the Bucks system is he's not an ISO passer. He's really not a guy who, who's, I don't know, I'm trying to think of how I compare him to. I mean, another undrafted, an undrafted guy, but like Chandler Vaudrin, who's 6'7 out of, out of Winthrop, was really a point guard for them. Uh, and Sandro had, I want to say, three and a half assists a game last year, but he really didn't play point, really, for Seton Hall. He really was their four. Um, and a lot of his playmaking is either grab a rebound and dish into transition, 
um, or off like a dribble handoff um, or even in their motion, something in there, he, he makes the read live. It's not a, a an isolation try and find an open guy because I'm drawing defensive attention. He really does make pass. He really does make assists and play makes in the flow of the offense pretty darn well. To move this along to the area where neither of us are going to be as comfortable, I'm going to drag you with me out of your comfort zone. Oh here. God, uh, Georgios Kalitsakis, 68 overall pick. When I woke up to see this news, because I did wake up to it, I was not awake to see this was the Bucks had decided to do after trading their pick. It's probably for the best, you know, um, that I wasn't. I, it's just easier to be like, really? Okay, that's what they did. I was listening to the post-draft episode that my, my Eurostep colleagues did, as I'm sure many of our listeners right now have listened to. And all along, they were talking about him, they were talking about him, and I was like... They just need to start calling this guy cash considerations because he's just a proxy for that. It's it's a draft rights, you know, it's it's a throw-in. It's a sub-in for value in a trade that's going to come down the line. That was my view on it. There wasn't a whole lot to indicate, one, given just the lack of roster spots the books have at their disposal, the lack of money, that this is someone who was going to be coming over. And that only became more apparent when you start to look at his production up to this point in his career. And really, what his game is like. Now, since I had those thoughts, the ever reputable Eurohoops have reported that he is, in fact, leaving Panathinaikos this summer. He is coming over to join the Bucks. He will be um, signing his rookie contract at Summer League. That's all vague enough. That could be, you know, Exhibit 10. It could be a two way. It, it, we don't really know to this point. It's. I feel confident and I really hope I'm not proven wrong on this and saying there's not going to be like a two-year guaranteed contract coming for Georgios uh, Kalitsakis. I don't have a whole lot to add here in his game. I, From what I've seen, I've not been super encouraged. He's a guy who fits the old um, horse mantra from when horse first came in of like pass, dribble, shoot. As in, he does all of those things I haven't seen a whole lot of evidence that he does them very well right now. The read on him seems to be that he was a really highly thought of prospect two, three years ago. I think he declared for the draft a couple of years ago with Drew because the interest wasn't necessarily there and just has kind of fallen flat. I mean, he's in a very good Panathinaikos teams, including, you know, playing alongside Tanasis before Tanasis came back over to the books. He's been picking up hardware, but not exactly playing minutes. He had a loan spell in Lithuania, which did not go well. It's the kind of move where you'd be like, okay, we're a good team here. You can't quite crack the rotation, but go somewhere else and show us you can really play. And maybe that changes. He went to Lithuania. His numbers were not impressive. He didn't really seem to contribute in the way that would make Panathinaikos even think twice about, you know, what could he be? So he's a 22-year-old. There's still room for growth. Not the youngest of players, but I, this is a weird one. And my only thing with this is, when you said that, and I, I don't disagree with you, that um, Sandro Mamu Kalashvili is likely, or maybe best utilized as a two-way, I feel like the books possibly just have their two-way slots locked up. And... I, I don't know. Maybe they don't. I just... I really am not going to be very pleased about the trade they made if Georgia signs an Exhibit 10 
and is waived to just be a G League player and the herd to have his rights and they use the draft pick on him. It's like, what was the point? That That's where it will really come to maybe don't make a deal for your second round pick right at the beginning of the first round and wait and try to get some of the, like the Thunder deal, the Thunder deal that was there for the Knicks later on. But it's just, it's the makeup of this, which is, let's put it kindly and say intriguingly, uh, I'm pretty unsure of. I, have you done any have you done any research have you had a chance have you have you had any real will or desire to go and try to learn more about him today or just what are your thoughts on how the books might approach this in terms of roster spots if, if indeed and i have no reason to doubt Eurohoops is a very very reputable site and generally you know right on the money for any european basketball news there's been a lot of book stuff that's come from there over the years but if he is in fact coming over, I think it's it's a weird situation. Yeah, I honestly haven't. I've had the desire to look into it. I really haven't gotten to it yet. Uh, pretty late night last night, and then uh, I worked today, and then I, and then I got up my uh, most valuable undrafted article, and then my potential steals article. So I haven't really had a chance to dive into uh, his game at all, um, and I haven't even asked anybody for a one paragraph scouting report yet either. Um, I would say I am generally more partial to college prospects simply because I've seen them more. Um, at least the, the, the first, the second round ones, like the first round, I've obviously, I've watched enough of the international guys at that point, right? I really know their games well enough. Um, shout out Josh Giddy. I'm very excited. Um, but Looking at six, even at sixty, there were a couple guys I was like, "Okay, I can get on board." Some with good this. guys went undrafted. Yeah, like Joel Aliyei. I'm like, "Yep, I like him. He's already he's from Gonzaga. He's already played a, a supporting cast role. He does pretty much everything well. Nothing great, and he's got good size. Like I was totally fine with that. Now maybe he's one of those guys that decided, "Hey, I'm going to go undrafted. I'm going to sign with the Lakers already, and I this is my destination." But I liked him. I liked McKinley Wright um, out of Colorado, just maybe the best floater in the class. Um, Carla Jones from Louisville I like okay. Uh, I'm going down my undrafted list right now. Jose Alvarado um, probably wasn't going to get drafted regardless, but out of Georgia Tech, he is just like exactly my quote from my article today is this isn't the type of player I would want to bet against. Um, He just kind of has had that journey where – something's going to work out for him uh, because he's a really hard worker. I really wanted a guard. <laughs> and, and again, like, you know, you've the- come to the right place. You've come to the right podcast to talk about this. I mean, and I, I guess going back to the point again, like even not taking guard at 60 was like, okay, maybe there's confidence that they have someone already lined up to be the backup. Or they're really confident in Sam Merrill playing. You know what, though? You know what, Lucas? If they're confident in that, take a young guard in the draft. Take a young guard. You've got the freedom. It's not like you can't have three point guards on your roster. It's it's. I don't know why the books have got into this, really. I, I mean, it's they're limited in what they can work with to get players. That's It's not necessarily intentional. They knew... Like, this is a point I brought up in a recent podcast. It's easy to forget because it worked out disastrously and they had to move off him. 
they did sign DJ Augustine to be a backup point oh, guard no. last offseason. So they they did actually spend some real money and kind of prioritized, okay, we need to get someone yeah. here. It didn't work out and they're still in that spot. But it's just like get maybe get someone you have some faith in developing. And then you can get your veteran guy. You don't have to play this player. Like they just had four passengers on a championship winning team. It's not like you have to really be locked into every player. There has to be urgency for them to play. But I don't know why they can't have three guards. I don't know why an understanding that you're going to get a good point guard on a veteran minimum on Monday when agreements can be made. The book certainly would not have any agreements in place before Monday. We know that. Although, what what are, what are they going to take off them? You know, what, what's left to take? Maybe that's why Horst decided to stock up on some more picks. Was you know they needed some picks to be taken away, right? Exactly, but it's like yeah, I can, I can just... see him going Instagram live and calling some twenty-five-year-old. <laughs> it's just, it's a, it feels to me like a free hit. If if you could get a good point guard, which I hope, I really hope they can in free agency, it seems like a free hit to take another point guard. Sure. Yeah, and, and I think even more so, not even more so, but not taking a guard at 60 even. I was like, okay, it's 60, whatever. Sign a guy to a two-way. There's plenty of them. And they didn't do that yeah. either. <laughs> and, like, there are guys on two-ways or, or exhibit 10s that intrigue me. Um, I've already brought him up in this in this podcast, but Chandler Vaudrin is a 6'7 playmaker. That you, Those guys are not that often come along even if he's like an exhibit 10 guy it's worth taking a, a feel on he's 24 but worth taking out a feel and like see what he see what he's doing he's got an exhibit 10 with the caps by the way so that's not going to happen but those have you seen of- by the way because we might do some quick fire here have you seen some of the players who are going to summer league with the books um i'm only ex- i've only seen a couple and i'm very excited about one that's it Okay, well, let's run through, and you tell me if you know. This is very much quick hitters. You don't have to go deep. If you know what you know, I'm sure you're going to know something on most of these guys. The headline seems to be Mike Smith from Michigan. Yeah, uh, I want to say he had like an 18 assist, zero turnover game in the, in the NCAA tournament or something um, for Michigan. Short guard, I want to say he's 5'10", 5'11". Um, there's at least, for Bucks fans who are really not college basketball people, um, I'm sure you can it's find a clip of, I'm sure you can find a clip of his Michigan teammates lifting him up to try a dunk in warmups. Um, <laughs> he doesn't have great size, but he's a smart playmaker. It gets into his spots well and finds the right guys and passes. Uh, Michigan was really good this year, uh, and, and and he got the guys into the right positions. He had a couple games that were impressive. Jalen Crutcher. This is the guy I like. Um, a clutcher, okay. in other words. Um, really, Obi Toppin went top five um, last mm-hmm. year. And he was awesome in college. But when it mattered in late Dayton games, there's a reason I called him clutcher. I mean, that guy gets buckets when you need him to. Um, I'm, I don't really know if he turns into an NBA guy at all. I wouldn't bet on it either. He's a short, one, stocky kind of guard. Um, but I'm really, I'm really excited to see him on the summer league team. Uh, like 18, four and five last year, he's a career 37% shooter from three. 
Um, I really like Jalen Crutcher, actually. I, I don't really think he turns into anything outside of that. And for the people who are like really tuned into the summer league, I'm excited to see him play in a in a Bucks uniform. And two others who I think are about a year removed from college, I feel like have picked up some reps overseas, from what I know. But um, Stephen Enoch, is that Louisville? Yeah, he's a big from Louisville, I think. I seem yeah. to remember him being Enoch, yeah. Um, I want to say he was in Spain big. in Spain last year, I believe. Yeah, I think he started his career at UConn, played at Louisville. Uh, he's pretty big. He's 6'10". Um, I don't really – he didn't do all that much in his career, honestly. No, that's – look, part of the summer league roster is going to be like that. I know nothing about any of these. So I'm just throwing names and being like, can Lucas tell me something I like? I like that I've got clutcher to look forward to, you know, in – down the stretch and big games in summer league. That's that's yeah. He's fine. I don't really I don't really see much out of Enoch that I'm just like he, he's fine. He's a summer league guy that I, I don't really think he's he doesn't really stretch the floor much. He's just kind of he's a, he's he's a, he was a high major big in college that was relatively productive. John Mooney out of Notre Dame. I mean, he was in Japan last year. Any memories of him? Yeah, he's kind of a bigger forward. I want to say six eight, six nine, somewhere in there. Um, kind of stocky, wide-shouldered guy. Uh, I mean, Bucks fans remember Bonzi Colson. Yeah, of course. John would be backed Pat up. Connaughton's great friend too. I mean, it seems him. like they've they've always got some fighting Irish guys for Pat. Yeah, uh, Mooney is kind of he was the backup to Colson early, and he kind of was that same kind of little bit undersized forward that rebounds the crap out of the ball. Um. He was fun. I've seen him live a few times, actually, uh, when Notre Dame came to play at uh, Bankers Life Fieldhouse in Indy, which is where I live. Uh, so I think he's he's probably more fun than Enoch to me, just because he gets – he's a really good rebounder, um, and he likes to think he can stretch the floor. But <laughs> he can really rebound the rock. I want to say he averaged double-double maybe three times in college. Okay, that's, that's pretty impressive. Let's continue with the quick hitters, and this is – it's just quick detours around the the rest of the league with draft night decisions. Um, to me and to my pretty unqualified eye, just from what I had seen, and I mean, some of this factored into trades too. Rockets, I think, were one of the obvious winners. I thought the Hornets had a, a very nice night, and things kind of broke their way in a couple of spots too. But what teams or team even just really kind of stood out to you that you liked what they did on the night? I really like what the Magic did. I got lucky, partially. Um, I think Jalen Suggs is kind of a, a really transformative kind of point guard for them. Uh, it, I've always, growing up, the Magic were a big man team. I mean, they had Dwight and then Book. It's just like, I want to give them a face that's a real guard. Um, that's exciting. And whether that's Cole Anthony, I think he's probably more of a two. Um, and I like... Jalen Suggs for them quite a bit. Um, and then I want to say, what, they have eight, two, and get France? France mm-hmm. eight. Who I think is the one of the safest picks in the draft for me. I, th- I think France is just kind of the kind of guy that he's low usage, um, a good defender, not great, but a pretty good off-ball, but a really good off-ball defender, makes an impact there. If the shot is there, that makes him even better. I think he's one of the guys that I feel most confident in just 
at the very worst, just sticking as a multi-year bench guy. That's that like that's one of the first guys off the bench. Like pretty valuable, um, low usage player. I like him quite a bit. Um, for them, you already mentioned Charlotte. Um, I like Charlotte a lot. I think I would feel a lot better about the Golden State Warriors draft if you swapped their seven and fourteen picks. I didn't really like Kaminga at seven, but I love Moody at fourteen for them. Absolutely love Moody at fourteen. Maybe my favorite fit and although Brock- they they reportedly don't love it and they still want Duarte. That's fine. They can deal with it. <laughs> I. <laughs> Either one is fine. I mean, I any more... any smart draft person I saw was like, Moody for them is just it's it's like the ultimate case of like it's found money, but it just it seems like and I know some of the reports that came out today were like the Warriors were still after the fact being like, can we get Duarte? Duarte is who we wanted. Yeah, I, I either one is fine for them. I think both. I think Duarte is probably a touch better for right away but doesn't have the same longevity and ceiling. Whereas Moody's like, he's pretty good now. And I think he could be really good. Um, kind of the prototype three and D guy. And I'm really excited to see the fact that he gets to play and like kind of learn from Clay Thompson for a little bit. Um, I think we'll be good. Yeah. I think those are the guys that I think I'm, I'm most happy with are, are those couple teams. And I'm, Oh, I'm super happy for Pistons fans to have Kate. <laughs> And he's embracing it right away, which is very cool. Yeah. Yes, steals. Then is is there anyone we haven't mentioned that you're seeing steals at a draft even down into the second round? Maybe, maybe in the range the books could have picked that. Um, who are the players that are standing out to you that you think maybe got overlooked on draft night but could end up having pretty nice NBA careers? Well, I, I've already posted my ten <laughs> biggest. Steals. I'm trying to I'm trying to set you up here to hit it out of the park. Um, so Jared Butler is my number one. Um, I think okay. medical concerns were really the factor why he dropped to 40. But the medical factors just aren't new. It, like they, they were around when he was in high school. I mean, he originally committed to Alabama and had to decommit because of the medical issues. And he was fine at Baylor. Um, and he's cleared to play in the NBA. And, and if obviously I'm no NBA insider and maybe there's an actual like this is likely to stick around and maybe become a bigger problem, then – cancel my steal but also putting him with Quinn Snyder with Rudy as a role man I really like Jared Butler both at 40 is it's outstanding value and I really like him in Utah um already talked about Moses Moody I think Sharif Cooper I've never liked as a prospect much relative to other people I've slotted him in my late 20s a lot of big boards I don't love him much but at 48 oh my god is that good value I mean, he's probably the best passer in the draft. And if he can decide to not decide, if he can improve as a three point shooter, I'm all in on him being a pretty good player. Uh, And I think people get over infatuated with turnovers from high usage guys. Um, And I think that was part of the problem with Cooper is like his turnover rate is lower than Cunningham, lower than Suggs, lower than Barnes, lower than Mitchell. But his turnover numbers as a raw number are high because he had like the highest usage rate in the country. Um, I think that that's um, part. He of still the- had a a two to one assist to turnover ratio. Yes, I I think his just raw turnover numbers just kind of got over overvalued. Uh, I like Ao in Chicago, Dasunmu. I think that's fun. Uh, really a star at Morgan Park High School in Chicago. 
went to Illinois, was a star there, gets to stay in Chicago. That's fun, and it's a good value pick. Um, and they'll get plenty of fan interest out of it. Again, a shot to the heart of Bucks fans. Miles McBride, good value at 36. Hard-nosed defensive guy. Um, really he was the guy for me. He was the guy that I was like, that's exactly what the book should be taking a flyer on in the draft. And I think, you know, he could have played, you know, maybe the measure for all, all any of these players isn't, are you going to be playing them if it gets to the finals? Probably not, but I think you could give them some minutes in the regular season and you might be surprised. And maybe there is someone you could play come playoffs, but he was the guy for me that I really thought, you know, perfect mix of the thing when, when I was watching anything on him was, I was just imagining like what you could do defensively and putting him and Drew out there together as a backcourt at times. It's just an absolute terror. So that was the disappointment for me and him being there when they could have had the pick. And beyond that, and yeah, I mean, very very good value pickup, it seems. Yeah, and then the other two guys that I think steals sometimes to me are just guys that have red flags. I mean, Brandon Boston has not necessarily a red flag in anything. It's just that he's he was really bad at Kentucky, um, like advertised as a six seven lengthy shooter, um, and he couldn't shoot. Um, but that's also a guy who's eight, who's nineteen. It was a five star out of out of out of high school, um, and get got to his spots well at Kentucky. Like he got to the shots he wanted, and none of them fell for an entire season. I mean, if the shot starts to fall, he's intriguing. Um, and 51, that's unbelievably value picked because there aren't that many guys that 50 could develop into top 20 guys in the class, and he can definitely do that. Um, and then Jalen Johnson at 20 for the Hawks. I like him as a, kind of a secondary playmaker as a small ball, 4-5, um, next to Trey and Sharif. I think that's I think giving them kind of a bailout and another passer um, is helpful, and his red flags are obviously – at what one two three, like he's gonna, this is going to be his sixth team he's played on in as many years basically, um, with Nikolay twice in the mix. But I, I think that's kind of, I think he was probably a top ten player in the class if he didn't have those those question marks. And to move away from the draft, I don't want to get you out of here without giving you a chance to just talk about what's just happened with the books, the books being champions. You are a books fan. As we mentioned at the start, you wrote about the books for a year, two years. You were up behind the book yeah, posters, it feels yeah, like. Um, something like that. And how have you been processing it? What, what are your feelings over the past kind of week, 10 days? You know, I, I've always been, I always wish I never was able, I, I really wish I could have kept writing about the books, honestly, um, for people that maybe remember me writing there. Um, I really wish I didn't stop. Um, not just because they just won the finals, but also like it was. I, I really did enjoy writing about the Bucks. I've been a Bucks fan since I was a kid. Uh, obviously, not that long ago. I'm 24, but I, like I, I've been a Bucks fan as long as I can remember. Um, I loved writing about mm-hmm. the team, and it was such a fun time to write about them. It's just I became one of the experts for fan sites, college basketball for site, and then with school, I couldn't do both. Um, but in terms of processing the the championship. I really, it still really hasn't set in, honestly. Like I was, I agree. I was so beyond thrilled when they beat your Atlanta Hawks. Um, <laughs> that like I, 
I like started to tear up because they made the finals. For sure. And then they were down 2-0 and I just didn't care. I was like, they made the NBA finals though. <laughs> like they made it to the promised land. And I didn't even like when they got down 2-0, I wasn't really upset. Cause like it was just so surreal that they got there in the first place. Um, and then I went to game three and I'm about as cheap as it gets. I'm, not a, a person who spends a lot of money, but I, I, I didn't think. In fact, one of my best friends texted me. He had a kid in January, and he texted me, "I'm going to Game Three because I think I'll be a grandpa the next time this happens." And I was like, "Dad, we're going." <laughs> I called my dad, and, and, and we went to Game Three, um, and, and it really was unbelievable. Um, and it's a drive. It's a five-hour drive for me to get up to Milwaukee and go. Um, and, and it was re- really an unbelievable experience for me. And then just the whole thing, like there are, there are moments as a Bucks fan that I'll never forget. And this is one of them knocking, almost knocking over a TV in my room and, and basically <laughs> missing the dunk, the value. I missed the actual dunk go through. Wow. I didn't know that Chris Paul had even fouled him. Um, because I was so – I was like, he took it from him. <laughs> I had slipped and, like, knocked down – I was, like, almost knocking down a TV because I was so excited. Um, and Sydney was like, he's shooting free throws. I mean, Sydney's my fiance. She was in there. He's like, he's shooting a free throw. I'm like, what? Because <laughs> I, I wasn't watching TV anymore. Um, like, those moments – and it's really surreal that there's such a positive Bucks moment. Like, if I think about the things that I remember – like I just finished up losing to my brother in mini golf. Um, who's older than me. I lost the game of mini golf to my older brother. And we got back in the car and we traded for Richard Jefferson. <laughs> I mean, like those kind of moments aren't positive anymore. Um, or I was at the 55 point game, double nickel Brandon Jennings. And that was the best moment of my books. Wow. I'm sure <laughs> I knew this. You probably wrote about it at the time and I've forgotten about it, but. And that game was unbelievable. I remember like coming home on the way home. My brother and I were like, we're going to buy his shoes. <laughs> we did not. But um, yeah, I mean, when they drafted Brandon Jennings, my brother and I got uh, the summer league pass to pay and watch all of Brandon Jennings' games. And it, there's just so many Bucks memories um, that are just so ingrained in like how I grew up for a team that was bad. Like, really, mm-hmm. really bad. And I didn't even really comprehend how bad. <laughs> like, just, like, rooting for the eighth seed. Um, like, I want to say it was Bucksketball had, like, eighth seed or bust as, like, their slogan for a while. And I'm like, yeah, eighth seed or bust, let's do it. Um, like, I remember I was, I was sitting at sec- – I was standing on second base in 2007, I think, um, as, as a kid playing Little League when they drafted E. <laughs> like John Leon and I get a poster. My mom's holding up. This is who they drafted at six. I'm like, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> and and I, 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 like it seems like all those moments kind of flashed in the last two minutes of of, of game six. It was like all these Monte Ellis have it all. <laughs> Everything just kind of flashed for me. I was like, this journey has been so long, and like I'm just a fan, and we're all just fans, but it's still it's hard to comprehend that it happened. It's, it's the coolest. It's honestly, I, 
you joked about my Atlanta Hawks, but you are more than familiar with my journey to this team, as as most listeners of the podcast will be. And for me, that's something that I've always felt. In the end, I came very organically to the books in that it was it was more through people, people like you, people like my podcast co-host, people like all all the other people who wrote up behind the book pass and people I've got to know through Twitter. It's like came to know like these people and just feel a deep affinity for the team, the city because of it. But it's just it's when you hear any time any I could listen to any books fan just do what you've just done there. Be like, try to put it into words. Because I think it's different for everyone, even though it hits on the same kind of key notes. And that's what makes it special is because everyone has their own memories for it. And my God, there's been there's been enough of them. There's been enough kind of low points and downs. And that's only talking recent. You know, I'm I am a big advocate for the book's history being more interesting and more successful than people recognize. But like this, this is a long road and a long journey that far predates either of us. Uh, being alive so it's it's just the coolest and i, I do i yeah. think it's going to take it's going to take a while yet for it to sink in for everyone but what i will say is i'm glad for you like i'm glad for everyone else for people who do remember you writing up behind the book pass and writing about the books directly they remember you were really really good at it anyone who's listened here will just know by now you you really really know basketball but a lot of a lot of great writers very lucky in my time behind the book pass and I know this is a, a sentiment that would be shared with my my co-host here on the Eurostep Podcast Network. You are absolutely one of the best of them. So anyone into college basketball, you've now you've now got a taste of Lucas's thoughts and his expertise. You can follow him on Twitter at Hardwired Sports. You can check out his writing at Heat Check College Basketball. And if maybe we've got some Butler fans, maybe there's more like you, the you know, Butler Books Connection. Um, you can go and get all Luke's uh, coverage of pages. Another former behind the buck pass guy. He was a trend, he was a, a foreign exchange student at Butler. That's right. That's yep. right. Anything else? Anything else you want to plug or specifically articles you've written just post draft? Some of the stuff we've touched on that people should go and check out if they want some more. Uh, I mean, if you want to f- follow NBA draft stuff, I posted today my 20 most valuable prospects among undrafted free agents. Um, and biggest steals. So I kind of went over those uh, a little bit during the pod because I had them both pulled up. Um, but that's what I got on NBA draft stuff. I'm not sure we'll have more coverage from me on that yet. Um, but if you're into college hoops, we got some fun stuff on the way at Heat Check CUB. Um, it's a really good group of guys, about eight of us, that, that are putting stuff together. Um, this is our second season working on it. And I, I think it's going to be really fun. Um, and it really, really, I'm still thinking about the championship. <laughs> As we all are and will be for quite some time to come. Lucas, it's been great to finally get you on and we'll make sure that it's nowhere near as long. You know, we need to be organized next year. We need to do college basketball check-ins throughout the year. So it's not a thing where it's like, oh, they've won. The, they just won the championship again. And now we've got like three days to get ready for the draft. So we'll try to get you on for some more college basketball to- talk throughout next season. And also just to get your books thoughts because you you know your books basketball. So thank you very much for coming on. It's been great to talk to you about all things draft. We're going to have an interesting few weeks as the books work their way through free agency and they, they go through summer league as well. For all of you listening, we will have lots more Eurostep podcast network coverage of all of that. 
I won't go announcing plans. I don't want to get in trouble with big time Ty Windish, but we do have some things in the works for free agency and into next week. Summer League coming up close. We'll have plenty of coverage throughout that as well. So make sure you subscribe wherever you get your, your podcasts to the Eurostep Podcast Network. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Eurostep Podcast, at Winning Six Podcast, and I'm there at Adam McGee 11. You know the rest. If you're listening, you, you know everyone that, that you need to go and follow. Uh, go leave five star ratings and reviews that's what Ty and Rohan in particular like they will read them out I will not take one from them I'm not brave enough to do that until the next time thanks again to all of you for listening thank you Lucas thanks for having me on